Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On the show, we talk about the system that we use to get clarity on our goals, certainty that we have the tools to reach them, and wealthy on our turns by rigging the game in our favor. And we share it here because we want to help you to reach your goals on your terms. You've been told to scale by all these products from every each way and often from good meaning people. So it's not your fault when you look around, survey the landscape and ask yourself, why is my business not where I want it to be? And as Dan Nicholson says, the biggest risk is that we don't get what we want out of life. I'm a good friend and business partner here in the Wheel Club, Mr. Paul Sparks himself, not only a successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. Guys, if you get value out of the show, please hit the subscribe button right now. That way we can help more people become wealthy on their terms. Title for today's show, how to make more money in 2024 by going after bigger deals. But before we get into that, six word updates. what you got, Paul? Six word update today. Beware of the deal counting bros. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure that we all have <laughs> experienced that, you know, you show up to an event, you show up to a mastermind and for whatever reason, the first question that you get is how many deals do you do? Yeah. How many deals per month do you do? And I don't know why, but that has always bothered me mm -hmm. because, uh, today I want to talk about how, um, you don't have to do more deals in order to make more money. I think it's just a mindset shift. I do think that doing more deals can be good. It can be bad, but beware of the people who only see your value as the number of deals that you do mm -hmm. or number of doors or something like this. So that's my six word update today. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Like I remember I was in a mastermind, same mastermind I got kicked out of, uh, where I was being like totally judged for not knowing my numbers as well. And he was asking me these questions. I was like, I don't know. I don't care. Like those aren't numbers aren't important to me. And, uh, yeah, that, that was a little bit of a, bit of craziness. Uh, and you made this Facebook post about this and got a lot of attraction. You're out there, yeah. you know, poking people out in the eye <laughs> in the in the wild and uh, you got some engagement there. I did because I do think that there's like a large portion of the of the population in the real estate world that just does not think that way. Yeah. But for whatever reason, it's always the deal bros that, you know, are the loudest. How many deals do you do, bro? That's just in my opinion, that that's like level one stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to get to the next level, it, it has nothing to do with that. Tell me, show me the quality of the relationships that you have. Show me the amount of time and the energy and attention you have to spend on the things that you want. Show me your P&L. Mm -hmm. I don't really care how many deals it takes you to get to your goals. Ideally, we're building businesses that are the simplest possible to hit mm -hmm. the goals that we want. That's what we're all about, right? Absolutely. And I do think that, I got a lot of engagement because there's other people that feel the same, you know, and we're tired of the deal counting bros out there. <laughs> Nobody cares how many deals you do, bro. It's yeah. just, that's our opinion at least. Well, I still use it for clickbait. Still works for clickbait. All right. It does work for clickbait. <laughs> My six word update. <laughs> uh, Vivid Vision helps resist the Oreos. So um, something that I was challenged with, you know, we did our last episode was all Steve wants for Christmas is a hundred million dollar business. And in part of this journey, you know, um, I've been asked to do this and that just to kind of really clarify what it is I'm trying to do. And so I read the book, Vivid Vision, over uh, the holiday break between Christmas and New Year. And I'm putting together, I'm like 80% done. I'm really excited to share with everyone once I got it done. But in part of doing that process, uh, we had a commitment that I had made in our annual planning in the middle of December. And part of our exercise is like, you know, are you still 
clear on this? Are you clear on this commitment? Do you still want to do it? And then what happens if you get if we succeed? What happens if we fail? Right? And then break out the dates. And after doing the vivid vision, I was like, this doesn't really line up. This commitment that brings in additional revenue is another opportunity doesn't really line up with the vision we're forecasting. So what would have been traditionally another Oreo, right? In my pantry, in my in in you know, our businesses, uh, we're just like, you know what? That'd be cool, but it'd be way cooler if we just execute our vivid vision. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just easy to get distracted, isn't it? And without a so easy. I bet that guy Cameron Harold has sold like I remember back in maybe 2018 mm -hmm. or whenever when Brandon Turner first started talking about that book and mm -hmm. it's just trickled its way into everything. It's a great book. Yeah. Love it. And, you know, this idea of holding in your mind what success looks like and and relinquishing the how, mm -hmm. you know, you're you're putting that back. That's what I love about that book. That's what I'm loving lately as I'm going into this Dr. Joe Dispenza rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys, if you're listening, if you've, if you read, uh, Dr. Joe, but, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what we subscribe to on this show. What we talk about in whale club is getting crystal clear on what success looks like in all these different areas of your life mm -hmm. and leaving it open to your team to, to, you know, as Dr. Joe says, the quantum, you know, field, basically just the infinite number of possibilities that you're just not aware of yet. Maybe there's, um, you know, you, you get exposed tomorrow to some ultimate faster way to help you get to this hundred million dollar business and this impact that you're trying to make. And if you can stay open to these possibilities, I think that's the best way to approach it. And so, yeah, I love that six word update today, Steve. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting when I do share it because people are going to find out how weird I am, right? People think of me as this button up character who's like professional and serious at all times. Like you're going to find out how weird I am when you share my, when I share my vivid vision and, and the words I've using, I'm using in there. Um, Love it. All right. So, what is the problem, Paul? What, 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 what's the situation here? Well, humans are hardwired towards more. First of all, um, this is biological. This is, you know, a bias. Uh, kind of people have different language for describing that, but we are hardwired towards more. And it's, I mean, I'm going to get kind of like technical for a second. We talked about this week on our whale club call and. If you're a big nerd like Steve and I, you probably heard of the concept of entropy. This is a physics term that essentially says that over time, things get, they break down, they get more complicated. It's like when you look at your, your kid's bedroom, it doesn't just get cleaner over time, <laughs> right? The dishes in the dishwasher don't magically find their way into the, into the dishwasher, right? They just the house gets dirty over time, it doesn't get cleaner. And that's the same thing with our business. Our businesses get more complicated typically over time and it takes energy and effort to make them simpler. And so for whatever reason, the problem seems to be that as we're growing our business and you get to maybe a couple deals, I'm, I'm speaking towards maybe the wholesalers and the flippers right now. Mm -hmm. Obviously there's a ton of ways to do real estate, but these are the folks that are typically more afflicted by the how many deals do you do? Mm -hmm. And the point is, is Maybe you're at three to five deals a month right now, and you've got a, a business that's, you know, you're getting some traction, you, you're carrying momentum forward. You might think that the best thing to do to double your revenue is to double your deal flow. 
But what we know is that as your business gets more and more complicated and more and more things have to go right, it starts getting more friction in the process. It doesn't quite move the same. And I think what I'm just going to challenge everyone today, this is not a prescription, but this is just a different way of thinking about it, is if you're doing, if I'm speaking to the people who are doing three to five deals a month, maybe a little bit more, maybe up to 10, I can guarantee you, you have an opportunity right now to get exposed to one to two deals a year that could bring you six figures and up. So let's, let's take a, you know, someone who's doing three deals a month. Let's like, let's say 36 deals a year. Mm -hmm. If your average deal size is maybe 10 grand or 15 grand, you know, so you did another 15 deals a year to double or to increase by 50%, you know, that's 150 grand a year. I can tell you right now, there's so many opportunities in the commercial space or in the development space. I'm doing townhomes to earn that at a minimum on one deal. A lot of these are six mids to upper six figures, mm -hmm. if not seven figure deals on these types of things. So right. I think that's what I would challenge you if you're listening to this is this year, how do you get exposure to one or two big asymmetric opportunities? I think the problem is, is that we get caught up in thinking more deals is always better. In fact, I'm actually doing a lot less deals now than mm -hmm. I was a couple of years ago, and I'm making significantly more money. So that's what I think we want to talk about today. Yeah, you know, uh, we had Gino Paloma on the show yesterday, right? He came in to record. He'll be on a couple of weeks. Uh, and after the show, we were talking like, hey, you know, we have a colleague up here who last year made $7 million tax-free, Right. And he's not working nearly as hard <laughs> as the rest of us are. We're over here grinding, trying to get to 10, 15 wholesale deals a month. And, you know, it's a, not to say it's a distraction, but it's work. It's work. Uh, whether it's putting out fires, managing people, uh, making sure the timing is working as far as funding and this and that. Like, there's a lot of things that happen. Not to mention the stress we had, you know, going from the end of 22 to the beginning of 23. And then we got this other situation where the guy just does one deal and uh, he's already made $7 million and that's his share of the profit. <laughs> that's not the total profit of the project. That's his share of the project working what appears to be a handful of hours a week, right? So I imagine this is the direction this conversation is going. Yes. And, and I, I don't know why I'm talking about Brandon Turner today, but I heard him say something the other day. And he said, go bigger, faster. That was what he would have done differently. Mm -hmm. It's just go bigger, faster. Um, so that is a mindset shift to go bigger. You might be thinking, I don't know how to do um, just some, some high-level numbers for those, just to give a practical example of the, the townhome deal that I've got that I'm working on. We bought that deal for $2.3 million. We bought the land. Uh, got a construction loan for about $5 million. So all in, we should be in for about eight, $8 million. Mm -hmm. And we should sell those townhomes for between 10-2 and 10-5. So let's say there's two and a quarter million dollars on one project, mm -hmm. right? That splits up pretty well when you divide by three. Yeah, it works out. It's like that one deal right there that could bring me three quarters of a million dollars. Mm -hmm. I, 
I would have had how many wholesale transactions and fricks and flips would you have to do to get that? Quite a bit. See, 700K, we're going to say approximately, at a 25% profit margin, which is optimistic if you're doing large numbers. Uh, so you got to multiply it by four. You got to do $2.8 million. You got to do an extra $2.8 million, an extra 200K plus every single month to yeah. bring home 700K net. And I don't share those numbers to brag. This is like, this is, I'm really, first of all, I haven't made that money yet. So let me not, like, it's not, it's not in the boat. Potential is not realized. It's not realized, but I, I just share this because that was like, well, duh, I would rather do one big deal per year. Of course, mm -hmm. there's, you know, some like feast or famine that goes on there with developers. Like mm -hmm. a lot of the developers I know, they're either, you know, rich or they're just poor, um, which is why I do think you need barbells. You need a reliable source of income that's constantly coming in. But if you are looking to get exposed to a bigger deal like that, and you don't know how to get into it, well, it's because this is a team sport when you get into this next level. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, real estate is about relationships, period. End of discussion. Now, you might be able to get away with more of a transactional-based business when you're doing wholesaling, I suppose, but I still, the best, I mean, you and I are exposed to some of the best wholesalers and flippers in the country, and they are all relationship guys mm -hmm. and girls. They run their business because they, they know everybody in town. Everybody knows what they do. They've got great relationships with people. Very rarely do you see somebody who uh, nobody in the market likes that's mm -hmm. doing really, really well. Um, that's yeah. been my experience. Yeah, I don't know anyone that no one likes that's doing well. It doesn't work that way. Uh, so, so let me ask you two questions here before we proceed. Um, yep. First, is this not another function of chasing more? Well, it depends on what your solvable problem is, because you may not need more. You may mm -hmm. not need to do any more deals. And so if you have a, a business right now that's supporting the lifestyle that you want to live and you're putting forth the effort and the attention that you want and you're where you want to be, then then uh, what do they say? When you've won the game, stop playing. Right. If you've won the game, stop playing. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't look at business as a game that's just like a checkbox mm -hmm. because even if I, I'm making the kind of money that I want to make to support the lifestyle that I want to make right now. So it, it has less to do with the money for me and more to do with, I just like playing business like a sport. It's mm -hmm. just fun. This is what I would do anyways, right. you know? And so I'm very guarded about saying yes to things that are going to create a job for me. and. What I know is that going from, let's say, five deals a month to 10 deals a month is going to add significantly more time and effort than adding one extra larger deal. So if you're, let's say you've got a business, so if, if it's about closing the gap, right, from where you are and where you want to be, and you need to make more money in order to close the gap, well, then what we really want to be looking is how do we close that gap with the least amount of risk the least amount of effort, you know, and the mm -hmm. most amount of options. This is the kind of the, the orientation that we is the teach. asymmetric bet to the upside. Yeah. So if you're closing the gap, we should be looking for how do we get there with the least amount of risk and the least amount of effort. Mm -hmm. And what I'm suggesting is I think it's a lot less risky and a lot less effort. If you're established to a certain point, instead of trying to double your business. So again, quick numbers, 
let's say you've got a, a million dollar a year in total revenue business. Your, your wholesaling company brings in a million dollars and you operate on 25% profit margin. So you're putting a quarter of a million in your pocket. Right. And you want, and you want to get to half a million a year because that is going to allow you to fund all the things that you want to fund and put your kids into the school that you want and do this, that, and the other, the vacations, all, whatever it is, like no judgment. You just got to name your number at a certain point. How much money do you need to live the life you want? Let's say it's half a million and you're at a quarter of a million right now. Mm -hmm. What I'm suggesting is, yeah, you might could double your business from a million to 2 million, or you could, or you could figure out how to add one quarter of a million deal, you know, each year. And I think that is probably easier for more people than it is the other direction of how do I double my deal flow? Yeah, I think, and that's the point here is that looking at it, if you're doing a million a year and you're keeping 250 and you're happy with that, great. If you're a person that's making a million a year and you're keeping 250, you're like, how do I get to 2 million and keep 500? We're suggesting maybe also consider figuring out another way to bring in revenue that doesn't require doubling your business. Because there's... If there's anything, if there's any one thing that's scary, it's just thinking about like, what would it be like to double the size of my business? Like the numbers are great. Revenue is good. Profitability, we know is going to go down, but profit will still, should ideally be better, right? But the the number of headaches, the number of people we got to manage, that part is not exciting at all. Mm-hmm. There's so much more time leverage, maybe is the way to say that. Mm-hmm. When you're doing one project, one big deal, there's just... <laughs> There's more leverage in that, especially if you're playing at a team sport. Um, and and this isn't, I, I don't want this, this isn't black or white. It's not always true. I'm just suggesting that maybe you're overlooking the avenue where you could just add one or two larger projects and it's a team sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about team sport. What does that mean? Yep. So I use a framework called, I call the deal triangle to think about how these larger projects get put together. And so... The deal triangle is made up of three sides. Every big project has these three sides. So whether you're doing townhome developments or self-storage or multifamily, the office space, industrial, doesn't matter. It's always the same. Sometimes the triangle is bigger. Sometimes it's smaller. Sometimes one side's bigger than another. But there's always three sides. The three sides are sourcing. How do you find the deal? Funding. How do you get the equity and get the debt to actually close on this thing and take it down? And the third one being the operations, who's building this thing, who's managing it, who is the one, the boots on the ground person that's doing the day-to-day action to either add the value or build the thing. So there's always three sides. And again, as you get into these larger projects, it's usually not the same person that does all three sides. It's usually, you kind of got to stay in your lane. Um, And so let's talk about the deal triangle and how to break that down. And we can start by the first side, which is sourcing. Sure. Um, Gino love him and Chandler. Those guys are awesome. Mm -hmm. They literally did this same exact thing when, you know, a year ago and they saw this, Mm -hmm. they're like, man, we are passing up on some opportunities where we could hit some home runs. We call them asymmetric bets because as a wholesaler, you probably have these, these deals sitting in your, CRM and mm-hmm. you just don't know it. Right. Absolutely. Um, 
So part of it is knowing what to look for, knowing what, uh, and again, I can speak mostly towards my expertise, which is in townhome developments. So if it's okay, I'm just going to use that example. Absolutely. I don't know. I don't know a ton about multifamily or about self-storage or any of these other things. I know a lot about townhomes now. So uh, what I found is there's certain cities where they are struggling with being able to keep up with inventory, people moving there. In particular, there's two markets that I'm working on. One is Denver. Obviously, that's where I'm at. Um, if you guys don't know me, I'm here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, the second market is Tampa and St. Pete and Sarasota and you know Hillsborough County and these kind of areas. There's just so many people moving in there. And so what's happening is the city, is not in Denver at least, um, more so in Tampa, you got to kind of find a, 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 a municipality that's a little bit more friendly towards mm-hmm. density. Um, the bluer the state, the less friendly they are. Let me just say that. Um, not a political statement, just observing Correlation. what's true. Harder to get that done in Denver than it is in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got these areas, these pockets where the city is coming in and taking what, what used to be a single family zoning. And then overnight, they're changing it to a multifamily zoning where now you can put five townhomes on that. Mm-hmm. So it's happening so quickly that these homeowners don't quite realize that their land value is actually worth more than the house. So these guys are walking in and paying market value for a house that they can then tear down and put five townhomes on, six townhomes on. So if you're looking to, again, get into a larger deal, and we're using townhomes as an example, the first way you can add value to a big deal like that is sourcing an opportunity. So it's learning the like the zoning maps, right? Like studying these things, understanding what's called a future land use plan. So a city, like let's take Denver, for example, you can go on and you can see their their future land use plan. Basically what it's showing is over the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, this is what we want to see in this area. We want to see more development here. We're going to make this an opportunity zone because we want to see investment here. So it's sort of like the tax code. The government Mm -hmm. gives you the playbook. If you know how to read the terrain a little bit, you can play these games. It's the same thing when it comes to development. The, the, The city is telling you where they want zoning, and it becomes much more of like a sniper approach and less of a let me throw out massive amounts of direct mail. It's like you can zoom in on two blocks and you can see that every single house on that block has the right frontage. It's got the right zoning. It's got the right um, it's got alley access. It's got all these different things. And you can just go and knock those doors. You Mm -hmm. probably have if you're a wholesaler doing anywhere from three to five deals a month. I guarantee you, you have those deals sitting in your CRM. You just don't know what you're looking at. Right. So the first step is start paying attention, start paying attention to the zoning, start paying attention and and cluing into what these larger deals need. And it's a completely different deal. I would also say this is probably a role for like a CEO to to sort of investigate early on. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting launch another side of your business. Yeah, it's not a new division. Don't take away. 
Yeah. Don't be a shiny object. Don't take away from the reliable business that you already have. You need uh, my, my coach, Dr. Jeff says, you got to first get some elbow room. Mm-hmm. If you're white knuckling in your business and you're all over the place, sometimes you do zero, zero deals. Sometimes you do six deals and it averages out at three. I would say first work to build reliability there. Yeah. Stabilize that business first. <clears throat> right. But then start exploring, start exploring some of these opportunities. Look and figure out where in your municipality are there favorable zonings for density, you know, where you've got a single family home, but it's zoned to put four units. It's zoned to put three or two even. Sometimes, you know, in Denver, we go after duplex lots and that works just, the numbers are a little different, but it's all kind of the same. Um, it's all ice cream, just different flavors, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But sourcing, Steve, I mean, you know, you have a wholesaling business. Um, talk to me about like what that process would be to kind of communicate that back. So, okay, now we know what zoning we mm-hmm. want. Now we know what to look for. Yeah. How did Gino and Chandler approach this? How would you approach this to kind of communicate that to your team so they can start plucking some of these opportunities that might be candidates for this type of stuff? So I think there's a couple of different things. I think first we got to figure out um what are the ideal homes right and so you kind of mentioned you know here's the the part of the city that they're in um here's the frontage here is a potential land uses this and that i think we can identify if we have a limited number whether it's 20 or 200 if we know like here are the homes then that's it let's market to those homes so first we figure out which homes qualify then we just market to those homes but before we market to those homes we're going to figure out are any of these homes already in our list Right. Yeah. Because if they are, then it makes it even better. So, yeah, I think it just goes back to to marketing and something I've said, um, not a popular opinion, is I look at realtors and wholesalers as exactly the same. Like they think they're different, but they're not. It's like Catholics and Protestants on the outside. I can't tell the difference. Right. Um, so the difference then really between a realtor and a wholesaler is who they market to. Hmm. A wholesaler is finding people with multiple points of pain. A realtor is calling friends and family. Hey, do you know anyone that's thinking about buying and selling? Right? That's it. They're just marketing to different sets of people. But for all intents and purposes, let me help you sell your house so that you can move on and do something different. So it's the same thing here. It's just who are we going to market to in this approach? You really, that's so, I'm going to have to think about this a little bit more. But (laughs) you said it's not necessarily, not necessarily distressed. I'm getting to the point where, like a novation or the installment method. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're doing this type of stuff with folks who have a, a it's like we buy houses, you mm-hmm. know? It's not necessarily we buy ugly houses. You're not have to be in distress in order to make these deals work. Right. If you're buying a piece of property where the land is worth more than the house, it doesn't matter that they're distressed or not. It doesn't, you know? it's irrelevant. You're looking for a lot that meets certain requirements to build on mm-hmm. and that's it whether they have distress or not you can typically i mean you can overpay you can pay over market price well that goes back to you know things that one of the very few things we learned in real estate school that was actually useful uh was the idea of highest and best use right like what's the highest and best use of this property and for the homeowner currently obviously the highest and best use for them is to live in it right but if we were to assess the value with an appraiser, they're going to look at it. It's like, well, based off the comps in the last six months, within half a mile, this property is worth X. But 
to a developer is worth Y. So we come in with a valuation based off of Y, homeowners based off X, they don't have to be distressed. We can pay more than what they believe the house is worth. Yeah. Um, two things. First, if you are interested in doing this, I will tell you to stay away from zone changes. Can't tell you how many people send me stuff and they're like, well, you could change the zoning to this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not like it's not doable. It's just that the process is extremely lengthy with no guarantee that it'll work out. Mm -hmm. Right. So if the, the, like I said, um, the, it's, it's a lot like the IRS in the tax code, mm -hmm. like the government's telling you, the city's telling you where they want to go. If you're asking for a change to that, you're swimming upstream. Right. So here's what I would do. And it's a little action step for anybody that's doing off market, um, direct to seller marketing, have your team append to every lead that comes in the zoning. And I mean, it's, it's not that difficult. If you don't know how to look up the zoning, like Google it, I, it's, <laughs> you go to the County, you, you find the zoning map and type in the address and it'll spit out your zoning, or you can use the MLS, lots mm -hmm. of ways to do it. You can't find it on Zillow typically. And don't listen to what people tell you. Look it up. Because yeah. um, people tell me stuff all the time. And I'm like, that's just not, that's not the case. <laughs> um, so no zoning changes. And get the zoning added to every piece of data that you're, you're getting. Every lead that comes in. So you can look down this list and be like, right, that one, that one, that one, and that one. And keep that as, if you're the CEO, if you're the business owner, keep that to you. Don't ask your team to become experts in zone changes. Just like you wouldn't ask everyone to become an expert in seller finance. You probably have one person mm -hmm. that those leads go to. And for right now, it should be you as the leader you're exploring. So collect all of these zonings, get familiar with your zoning map. So you know, Hey, an MX zoning, bam, that's multiple units. RH, bam, that's multiple units. For me, it's going to be different for you and your markets. But that's step one is start getting those leads to your desk so you can look at them, so you can see them. Because there's probably, like I said, probably stuff in your CRM right now. You don't have to change anything. You just need to get those to filter over to you. Yeah. Okay, so that's the, that's the sourcing side. Um, it, it's not very dissimilar to things that we've done in the past. Sourcing wholesale deals, sourcing fix and flip deals or multifamily deals or whatever you've sourced. This is the same thing. It's just you've got to have an eye for what you're looking for. Right. So then find somebody in your local market. If you're in Denver or you're in Tampa or you're in Tennessee or you're in Boise or Phoenix, you can call me. I know those markets fairly well now, and we've been doing a lot of underwriting in those areas. So also don't just throw, gosh, I had somebody the other day who sent me this deal, had never been to it, had never like, it's like somebody said that they wanted $8 million for a piece of dirt. It's probably worth two. So if that's you and you're just sending out stuff to somebody and hoping that they're going to do all the work for you to underwrite and, you know, look at it, you're going to get embarrassed pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Like when you play with bigger players, you kind of got to know what you're doing. So it is okay to ask for help. Like I said, if you're in those markets, you can call me, but find someone that can sort of show you what you're looking at first so that you can do some due diligence. It's like why we get frustrated I, as a flipper when some wholesaler sends me some 
price that's marked 100k over over what i need to buy it i'm like this isn't a deal man you're sending out crap right. um so you lose credibility so first off be careful with that find someone that can help you know what you're looking for the second leg on the deal triangle is funding this is a big part of putting big deals together and um it's not the same as going and get a hard money lender uh going and getting hard money from a kiavi or a renovo or something like this um and there are people in my that will that will use like hard money on development projects to me that's craziness that's just craziness so that's not my style that's way too much risk because too many things can go on in a development project so so we're talking in from my perspective about really two components of the funding side and in the cap is what we call the capital stack so there's equity you know aka the down payment and then there's the debt right the, mm -hmm. usually that's a construction loan so there's lots of ways to go about this you've probably heard people talk about syndications and funds and 506b's and 506c's and all these different ways you can raise money all that's totally valid with that being said you need those two components every single time you need um uh basically equity the down payment and that can be raised in fact uh all of our deals so far i've raised all that equity mm -hmm. um and the debt becomes just as hard when you're when you're playing at this game or playing at this level what i found is banks will it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg they're not going to lend to somebody that doesn't have development experience mm -hmm. you know how many it's like have you done two deals in the last you know the last two years that's what they all want to see if you haven't they're not going to lend you risky. five million dollars yeah because you're risky um and you might think well i've got this builder and they've been building for 20 years and they've got all this experience and this is who i'm going to hire and they're going to say well i don't care they don't have investment experience as a gp you know so yeah that was kind of a challenge that i had to learn how to navigate they want to see two things from the people that are signing the debt one is that you've got experience you have to be able to show that you've done this before and two you have to have sufficient net worth and liquidity to sign on that debt right so if they're giving you a loan for five million bucks you got to have at minimum a five million dollar net worth to be able to show that yeah so this becomes sort of the bottleneck for a lot of people trying to make that transition is they can't quite secure the debt and you know we can just talk about how i navigated it or how you can find people to plug those holes because that's a winnable game you just kind of got to understand the pieces that are out there and what these banks actually want yeah so let's talk about how you did it uh but before we do that it's kind of like when you're graduating college and you're applying for jobs like don't apply if you don't have experience right but how do i get experience mm -hmm. yeah that's exactly what it is, man. It's a, like I said, it's a little bit like the chicken or the egg or like when you get out of college and, you know, no one will hire you because you don't have experience. It's like, well, how am I supposed to get experience if you won't hire me? Right. Um, so how did so you navigate that? I, yeah. So here's what I did. Um, again, back to this being a team sport. You have to have those components. You have to have somebody that's got experience. So who do you know that's got experience building townhomes or doing a development or doing what it is that you're trying to do? It means you've got to start looking at this as a pie. And we're trying to take our piece of this pie. But when it's a seven figure pie, you it splits up 
easier, right? Mm -hmm. It splits up nicer. I also, my approach is I'm going to be in this game for a long time. Like I don't intend to just dabble in this game. This is going to be, I think this is going to be where I make my stand because I've found, you know, we say repetition leads to intensity, leads to purpose. I'm starting to find like what I'm good at and what I enjoy. And so as I'm looking at over the next five to 10 years, what does that look like? It means I'm okay not making the whole pie on the first, second, third, fifth, 10th deal, because we're going to be at this for a while. And I also need these other components. And so what I did is um, for this particular project, my two partners, Nate and Hassan, they had been building for a while. I was fortunate to have done a couple pop tops with those guys. We'd gotten some experience and we've done a few deals together, but they didn't have $2.75 million to go down and take out, you know, uh, an 18 unit townhome project. But I was like, I think I can get 2.75 million. You know, I think I can raise that. That's what I do. Um, so the three of us had to basically put our net worth together to show that we could sign on this debt because we also have other projects going on and other mm -hmm. debt and things like this. So, you know, we had to sign on this loan. Nate has the experience. And I raised the capital. It turns, it's so funny. Um, I'll tell you how I raised the 2.75 million. It came from one lender that had funded a deal for me previously. It was a pop top that they'd funded. They'd funded a million dollars on that. This was a family I had known growing up. And I actually bailed hay for this family in high school. <laughs> so it just goes to show, first of all, little tip, if you're raising capital, it's always the farmers that have the money. And you'll never know it because they're wearing overalls and, you know, uh, but turns out this family is just way wealthier than I actually had any clue. Mm -hmm. And by telling people what you do and asking people um, how to get help, basically, I found my way uh, back in connection with this family and they lended that $2.75 million um, basically at 12%. And 2% of total profit. So great, great cheap money, in my opinion, for that type of a project. Um, and we used that equity to then go out and get the debt financed from a bank. They wanted to see net worth and liquidity for that and experience. So if you are trying to add value on that side, first of all, you don't have to add value on that side. You could just do it through sourcing. Right. bringing a good deal to the table sometimes is enough to get you in to these larger projects. But if you're like me and um, I, it's not that I couldn't add value on the sourcing side. It's just that I just didn't on that particular case, my value was being able to raise cash. So ask yourself, do you have the ability to raise money? Do you have people that want to invest in these types of projects? And I was like, you probably do. You just might not know it. Uh, I mean, I shared with you, uh, I met a gentleman uh, uh, that I played basketball with who just, so recently, you know, so $9 million worth of stocks, right? Like he sold enough that there's like an actual like article about it, right? Play basketball, I play basketball with this guy, um, you know? And then uh, I'm having lunch tomorrow. Uh, I went to a RIA and this guy just casually is like, yeah, you know, I have a family office. I'm looking to buy some houses. Can I take you up to lunch? Yes. Right. So there are people in your network that you just may not realize. Like you said, the farmer, you had no idea how wealthy they were. So... I think one of the things we talk about is we're kind of, we talk, we're, we're, we let people know we buy houses. We let people know that. We don't do as great a job of letting people know that they can invest in real estate without doing the dirty work. Mm -hmm. 
So really well said. Uh, people can't help you if they don't know how to help you. Yeah. Right. So you have to open your mouth if you're trying to raise capital. You have to let people know what you're doing. So when someone asks me, Paul, what do you do for work? I help people invest in real estate. Oh, really? What does that mean? Like, well, and then you kind of talk to them. Well, mm -hmm. I, you know, I have these townhome projects that I build and develop. And um, I work with people like you that have cash that want to invest in these type of projects and be a passive investor. Um, and so it's in, instead of saying, well, I buy and sell houses. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, okay. So if you don't tell people how they can help you, you're not going to raise any cash, right? Um, I've also found that <laughs> raising money is is a full-time job, frankly. Like that's why I've just tried to focus on that area because mm -hmm. it is extremely valuable in these deals to bring the capital. In fact, you have a lot of control when you're bringing all of the cash into the deal. Yeah. Um, it, we used to think that if you got the deal, you'll find the money. We now know as we've gotten more season, if you got the money, the deals will come. That's right. That is right. Um, because, yeah, so well well said. So, so the funding side of the deal triangle doesn't always, it's not all or nothing. There's folks that are offering to sign on debt for some of my projects in, in exchange for a percentage, just a straight percentage of the deal. Um, they've got, they're extremely wealthy. Let's just, I always call this person the rich uncle. You know, you're looking for the rich uncle that's got $100 million net worth. They like you. You're this young whippersnapper trying to make their way in real estate. Did I just say whippersnapper? You did. Um, oh, God. Uh, and they invest in you because they see themselves in you. You know, it's because it's not about money for them. They want to be involved because they like to play business like a sport too. Mm -hmm. So there's rich uncles out there that will sign on this debt for you. There are um, principals that will sign. There's LPs that'll throw 150K in. So again, I, there's a whole show on funding these larger deals. But just remember, sometimes you can add value in even really small ways to get on to a deal. I mean, let me put it this way. As a bank's looking for experience, they don't care whether you had 5% equity in a deal or 50%. If you, if you are on the GP, you got experience, right? So this is actually what we're doing in Whale Club, as you know, is we're working with these folks in these markets like Tampa and Tennessee and Phoenix and Boise to help these guys get into these projects because they don't quite have the experience or the ability to sign on debt. So we can come in, we can help bring money into, into these projects. And that kind of leads us into the third side of the deal triangle, which is operations i just call it operations you could call it construction you could call it you know, boots on the ground it's like who is out there making sure on a daily basis that the project is getting done on time on budget and that is typically my experience is like that's one of the harder sides of the triangle some people it's easier for me it was always you know more difficult um and, it sounds it sounds like a nightmare for me. Of all the, the three parts, that's the that's the nightmare for me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like what I like about sourcing a deal is you find it and you're done. What I like about raising the capital is you raise the money and you're done. 
And what I don't like about the operation <laughs> side is it just never seems to end. Yeah. You know, even after you sell it, you got a year of warranty period where people are going to be bothering you all the time. So again, I don't add as much value to that because that's just not my skill set. Mm -hmm. But there are people who are absolutely excellent as operators in their market. Um, and maybe you don't know how to build a townhome, but we're helping again. I can just speak to like what we're doing. Either we've got people locally, like Mike Jones, for example, in Tampa. Freaking love Mike Jones, by the way. Yeah. Who? Um, <laughs> he probably gets so tired of me saying that to him. But uh, point is, is Mike's got an off-market wholesaling business. He's also got a construction company. He's in the process of building six townhomes on his own in order to do more deals. We just need capital. He's got the sourcing. He knows how to find them. He's got an off-market wholesaling company. And he's got a construction company. So what does he need? He needs capital. And that's what we're bringing to Mike. Right. Um, to Matt and uh, Matt Hoover and Mike Stansbury in Memphis, there's this awesome town that I'm learning about. I think I've told you about this called Stanton, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. And they're building a brand new F-150 plant there that's going to be opening in 2025. Mm -hmm. So there's all this need for build to rent in that like workforce, affordable housing in that market. And so these guys aren't construction guys, but again, they've, they know everybody in that town. It's a really small town. They've, they grew up with these people, right? They know how to source the deals. They've got relationships with the city to push this stuff through. And what we need really is capital and a builder. So again, it's like every deal is slightly different. And sometimes the sides are bigger. Sometimes the triangles bigger. Sometimes you have, you know, but it's a puzzle that has to be solved every single time. And so to sort of pull this all together, right? Mm -hmm. I guess the whole point of this is how to make more money in 2024 by going after bigger deals. My point is there's probably bigger opportunities sitting right below your nose, but you just don't know what you're looking for. Um, if you're in the wholesaling space, I can guarantee you, you have these things sitting in your CRM because I yeah. work with wholesalers a lot of times in my in whale club to pull these deals out. I'm like, First of all, go through and add a zoning to every single uh, lead that you have or every opportunity that you have. Because let's just filter out all the ones that are single family zoning and let's focus in on the ones that have multiple you know, density zoning. Mm -hmm. um, so figure out if you can add value to the sourcing side, if you add more value to the funding side, or maybe you've got a, an operation set up where you're already flipping houses. You've got great contractors. I guess let me say it with a caveat. Your flip crews are not the same as your new build crews, right? They're different skill sets, slightly different things. You might think you could just move a flip crew. Hey, let's just go build a house. I found that doesn't work very well. Yeah, I've not heard I've not heard wonderful success stories about that. Yeah. But there are builders who specialize in this and and then it becomes about a bid process and managing mm -hmm. it. So, I guess what I'm saying is that if you want to get into bigger deals, you got to change your mindset. More deals doesn't equal better. It's all about solvable problem. Like how much money do we need to fund the life that we want to live on our terms and on our timeline? And then what's the most efficient way to get there with the least amount of risk and the least amount of effort? That's really what you should be thinking about. And I'll challenge you that it's probably an opportunity to close that gap with a, with a couple bigger opportunities each year. And because it is a team sport, oftentimes the time invested is significantly less than trying to do volume 
and increase your volume inside your business. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we talked a lot today is townhomes, right? And that makes sense because that's your uh, field of expertise. But, you know, one of the things I like about Whale Club, because we've talked about, you know, how we feel about the name Whale Club from time to time. And for me, I look at this as we're whale hunting, right? Like, let's get a stable business. Let's do three to five a month, month in, month out, not losing any sleep, right? It's clockwork. We're not trying to figure out how to do more. We're trying to make sure that we close three to five every month, no matter what. We can build a business that never does less than three deals a month, right? And you're not going crazy with the expenses. You've now freed up time to go hunt whales. And so for Paul, it's townhomes. For me, building the biggest sales company in the country, right? Whatever it is, this is the idea behind Whale Club is stabilize, make your business reliable, and let's go whale hunting. Let's go hunt some big deals together. Because it's fun for us, you know? Not yeah. everybody sees it that way. And again, I, I'm not trying to convince anyone that this is the right or wrong way to, do, or, you know, to go about business. Like, it, it's totally preference-based. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I can tell you that if you've been in this business for, you know, three years, you have all of the pieces of the puzzle to go after bigger projects. You just might not know quite how to put them together. Um, and it does take some time and some effort to spend on that. But it's you should be more looking for the team that's going to help put this together. It's, yes, finding and sourcing the deal is a very big component of that. And, yes, raising the capital and figuring out how to take the debt is, is a really big piece of this. And, yes, having the right builder and somebody that – has a track record of doing this and has been successful over time. That's all really important. But if you don't have all three, you don't have a deal, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And we had so, a, I had a guy who came through a mentorship program, right? Like he had his first deal. He made 40 K joined our coaching program and I was working with him and like, he started doing some more deals. I think he did like three or four wholesale deals in like two, three months. And he happened onto a multifamily deal. And he talked to the guys that were involved in it, and they're like, yeah, if you'll just make sure everything happens on time, we'll give you a third of the deal. And he's like, we're having long conversations in these in these programs. It's like, should I do it? Should I not do it? I was like, they're going to give you a third of the equity, and all you got to do is show up every day to make sure that people are doing the work they're supposed to do? Like, yeah. Like, then, yeah, I would... I would not go down this road of building a big wholesaling company and you got enough money to, to tide you over until this project's done. So yeah, do that. And now he's, that was his first one. That was a few years ago. Now he's on his third or fourth, fifth project because he was able to raise, get the experience in doing the operations and he's doing more apartment deals now. That's all he does. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, and that's how it happens as, as you got kind of get further into your career, you just, the, the rate at which you're learning and the rate at which you are getting exposed to more and more opportunities, it just keeps getting more and more and more. Like, so that's the challenge. If you want to make more money this year, look for a few of those opportunities. But if you're white knuckling in your business, you're not going to see that. You're just not, you got to have, as Dr. Jeff says, you got to have some elbow room. Yeah, you, you right? have great opportunities pass you by because you don't know what you're looking for. Yeah, and because everything else in your business has to go right. And so you're like, you're just hyper vigilant trying to make sure everything is 
is right. So don't go after big giant deals until you got some sort of reliability built in. That's also really important here. There's an mm -hmm. order to this, you know, just because you've done three to five deals in a month doesn't necessarily mean that's repeatable and reliable. You know, that's the first goal is get yourself to a position where um, it's not, in my opinion, it's not about scale. This is just our opinion, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, the reliable side of your barbell. We talk about barbells a lot. The reliable side is meant to be reliable. Every time you keep scaling it, every time you keep adding all this stuff, you're making it less and less reliable. The more things that need to go right, the less likely it is to go right. So the goal is to make it as simple as possible, as frictionless as possible. At least our goal is mm -hmm. so that, like you said, we can hunt whales because one or two big deals every single year is probably enough to double your business, if not more. Um, yeah, probably more. So, and I just think those deals are way more fun. So whether that's a multifamily deal or self-storage, RV parks, ground up construction, or even the entitlement space. That's that's a really popular one these days. Um, if you're not familiar with entitlements, what that means is how do you take a raw piece of land or a piece of you know dirt that's got a house on it or something and turn it into the city saying, yes, you can stick a shovel in the ground. So it's all the permits. It's all the approvals. It's all the soil samples and the drawings and the plans and all that stuff. And that's a whole nother conversation for yeah. a different day. But, you know, I will say one last thing, Steve. I've been getting a lot of people like lately that have said things to me like hey i want to be involved with townhome projects what can i do to add value to you what i'm going to do is i'm going to send them to this show so if you're <laughs> one of those people that's been asking me that if you made it this far through the show i'm talking to you because i i don't have a course i'm not going to launch some course on how to like add value to a, a higher level operator. I'm sure there's somebody out there who will take your money to do that, right? I think what it takes to play at the next level is a certain level of being able to read the field and, and determine what is valuable. I've just told you what the deal triangle looks like. So you're looking for how to plug in to one of those areas. Do you have deal flow that you can find? You know, and that might mean doing some due diligence to understand. I'm, I'm telling you, go read the zoning maps. Go read the zoning codes. They tell you this, this zoning, you can do this. This zoning, you can do this. You need this much what's called frontage. So that, that homework is where you got to start. You got to start by looking at what does an actual deal look like and do the work, right? Do the work on your mm -hmm. own because I'm not going to just tell you all of the amount of you know years I've put into learning zoning and how all this stuff works. You got to do the work. Second thing is figure out Maybe you can add some, some capital to a deal. It might mean investing as an LP initially. It could also mean adding like a builder or bringing that thing, uh, you know, something valuable on that side. But again, if you're wanting to figure out how to get into bigger deals, this episode, I just told you how to do it on townhomes. Um, so like I said, I'm going to be using this to send to people mm -hmm. when they ask me, hey, how can I add value to you? Um, makes sense? Makes total sense. Perfect. So, uh you guys made it this far thank you guys for watching uh you know beware the deal bros and now hopefully you guys know how to make more money by going after bigger deals see you guys next time